John chapter 20 and verse number 11. John chapter 20 and verse number 11. If you're there, just say amen. Praise God. Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. See two angels in white sitting and one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. They said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned around, she turned herself back, and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And then he adds another question. Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said unto her, Mary. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. She came and told the disciples. That she had seen the Lord and the things that he had spoken to her. I don't have a flashy title for you today, but I just feel like reminding somebody in this house this morning that we do serve a resurrected Savior. He is risen from the grave. He is not there. Pastor, why didn't you save this for Easter? Because every day is Easter. Every breath that I breathe is Resurrection Sunday. He is the resurrection. When Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus, one sister said, I wish you would have came earlier. You could have done it yesterday. The other sister said, I think you can do it tomorrow. He said, I want you to know I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. I want to talk to you today about this woman named Mary Magdalene and hopefully before we're finished God will bless your heart the way that he has blessed me but for the sake of your remembrance today I want to preach to you that he is risen and you may be seated in Jesus name as the sun crawled beyond the horizon as the spring dawn breeze blew through the garden the dark of night melted away, came one of the most unique women known in history. Her steps were very rushed, her gait was uneven, 
her heart was in shambles. The image was as poignant, touching, pathetic, and wretched as anyone had ever seen or could describe. Others would join her, but she stood all by herself, alone in her emotions. Mary Magdalene was about to become the most unique person to ever live. She was given an honor that was not offered to Peter or John who had been in the very same spot as she was just moments before. Mary of Magdala would be the first human being that would see Christ the Messiah resurrected. The tomb that should have held the mortal remains of the rabbi from Galilee stood gaping open. The large stone door had been rolled away to the side. The grass and the soil still damp from the morning dew. But a woman stood broken while the perfume of the flowers and the trees filled the air. It was no greater than the morning that was in her spirit. She was full of brokenness, tears streaming down her face. Her body weighed down with grief. And now at seeing the empty tomb with mind-numbing shock and disbelief. She had come to the tomb of her Savior and Messiah to grieve, but found only more grief awaiting her inside the gates of that garden tomb that day because the one that she came to grieve was missing. Her name was Mary, Miriam in the Hebrew. She was a woman of means from the town of Magdala, which was on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. We have very few facts about her in the scripture, yet ironically, a lot of myths that surround the life of this Mary. Mary was one of six women in the New Testament that bore the same name as she did. Her role was very pivotal, yet so underrated. She was one of the least, most, uh, one of the least understood and most represented, re- represented people. In the entire Bible, in my opinion, yet Luke gives us some great insight about Mary in Luke chapter 8 and verse 1. It said it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And twelve were with him. And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene out of whom went seven devils. Mary, Magdalene, was a demon-possessed woman. For a time in her life, Mary was possessed, not with one devil, but with seven. How and when Jesus cast the demonic spirits out of Mary It's uncertain and unknown. Only the fact that he did. But unlike many who were healed, set free, delivered, and went about their way back to their daily lives 
and just living the same way. Mary Magdalene and some other women came back to Jesus after they had been set free and invested their hearts and their lives into the ministry of Jesus. If you follow the story, it said that they invested their finances in to his ministry. They supported him. They took care of him. They gave him their private possession. In some measures, I guess you could say that these women were the female version of the disciples. And it seems by all rights that this Mary was the leader of the pack of women. Mary was a woman of great courage. She followed Jesus and his ministry all the way to the cross, into the tomb. And what a journey it would have been. As a demon-possessed woman, certainly she must have been a desperate woman. But when Jesus set her free, she threw her heart and her life into the support of his ministry. She was just like the one leper that returned to give him thanks for what he had done in her life. But Mary was somewhat different because she couldn't just tell him thanks and then go about her business. She realized that Jesus had made the difference in her life and without Jesus she would still be the wretch that she used to be and without Jesus she would still be possessed and without Jesus she would still be miserable Mary could not just be touched by him and then walk away from him one of the myths that surround the life of Mary Magdalene is that she was a prostitute Now, to be quite honest with you, you can search high and low in the Scripture, and the Scripture does not indicate this whatsoever. But it is believed by tradition that perhaps she had been a woman of ill repute. So much so that there was a season of time that if you were a woman of the night, you were called a Magdalene. Because they believed by tradition That she had been a prostitute. Most theologians would agree that the woman in Luke chapter 7. Who broke the alabaster box at the feet of Jesus. Could be identified as Mary Magdalene. In Luke 7 and 21. The word of the Lord tells us that in that same hour. He cured many of their infirmities and plagues. And of evil spirits. And unto many that were blind, he gave sight. Could it be at Capernaum that day that Mary was one of the ones that had been set free of that spirit? Because by verse 36, it said that one of the Pharisees, Agium that he would eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down at meat. And behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus had sat down to meet in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And began to wash his feet with tears. And did wipe them with the hairs of her head. And kissed his feet. And anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisees 
which had bidden him saw it. He spake within himself. And he said, this man, if he were a prophet, he would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him. For she is a sinner. It only makes perfect sense, whether a prostitute or not, that she certainly was a demon-possessed woman who was a miserable wretch. But could it be that she was in the number of those in chapter 7 that had been relieved of the evil spirits and was so grateful that by what we call the 36th verse, she didn't wait for Jesus to get very far. She was touched and went right to her house and got that alabaster box and went over to Simon's house and said, i got to let you know before you leave today, I'm grateful that you touched me. I feel like telling somebody this morning, he's still able to touch you. But if he touches you, you've got to come today and let him know how grateful you are. I just want to know before I go any further, is there anybody in the house this morning that's grateful for the touch of the master? People sitting in that room that day said that she didn't deserve it. They said that she did not deserve to touch him. They said that she did not deserve to be in his presence. She was a sinner. She was a woman, perhaps of ill repute. We don't know. Maybe she was a woman that had spent her life giving her precious life to other men that would walk off and leave her. And maybe that's why she felt something so different when she was touched by this man. I've got to tell you this morning that men will walk off and forsake you and leave you and abuse you and use you for whatever they want but you have an advocate this morning that said I will never I will never leave you I will never forsake you I'll be with you Maybe that's why by Luke chapter 8 and verse 2, we understand that Mary was following Jesus everywhere that he went. She didn't really care when the Pharisee looked at her, shook his head, said, you don't deserve him. I want to settle an issue in this house this morning, and I just want to go ahead and get it out in the open. You can look at me and shake your head all you want to and say what I don't deserve. And I can look at you and shake my head and say what you don't deserve. And somebody from across the church can look at you and shake their head and say, you're a loser, you don't deserve that. But I want to stand before you as a living testimony today that if I would have gotten what I deserved, I wouldn't be standing here right now. It's not about, oh God, it is not about what I deserve. But it's about who touched me. And I'm telling you, when Jesus touches you, you will never be the same again. He makes you walk different. He makes you talk different. He makes you feel different. He makes the difference in your life. I'm astounded as I was studying 
for this morning began to read accounts of things that, to be frank with you, I usually just leave alone. I don't like to jump outside the canon of Scripture too often, especially when it comes to validating Scripture. That's trouble waiting to happen. But there are extra biblical books, if you would. There are books that some assume were written by apostles later that were found that they believe should have been in the Scripture. But I'm just going to stand on record today, and I don't mind doing it by telling you that if the Lord would have wanted it in the book, it would have been in the book. Do you know why we have 66 books? Because that's what he wanted. You know why we have Genesis to Revelation? Because it's enough. And on every page, on every line of every verse, you'll find him there. It's not a story about man. It's a story about him. It's a story of a of redemption of how man messed up and he made a way to come back and fix it. Somebody said there's a lot of the story uh, that, that took place in the garden that it's not in the Bible. You can't, you can't look at the Bible for the full account. What you're missing is the focus of Genesis is not the mistake of man. The focus of Genesis is the God that created man making a way for man that messed up to fix the problem. Well, who did Cain marry? Where did his kids come from? Listen to what I'm telling you right now. What you're focusing on is what other people want to focus on your life. Where'd you come from? What'd you do? How'd you mess up? Who'd you mess up with? How'd all that happen? Here's what I want the world to know when they look at me. Everything I was, where I came from, what I've been through, when they read my story, all they can see is Jesus. When the devil tries to come back and read your story of faults and failures and everything that you've done, he can't even see it. All he's got to see is the name that was applied in baptism. You can believe what you want to today, but I still believe in the power of the blood. I believe in the power of the name. I believe that when my sins are washed away, they are washed away. There are some in their writings that have tried to degrade the character of our Messiah in Christ. They have stated some kind of illicit affair between Messiah, Jesus, and Mary of Magdala. They have said that there's no way that a woman would show that kind of affection to a man that was not paying her or was not taking care of her with favors that I don't have to name in this room this morning. But the only thing I can do when I read stories like that is just shake my head. Because I want you to know, if Jesus touches you the way that he touched me, See, that was, a, that, that, that was a little bit better than that right there. Some of you have forgot what it felt like the day that you laid your burdens down at this altar. I don't follow him for the favors he gives me. I don't follow him for the money he pays me. I follow him because if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, I would be lost. 
your friends look at your life and they judge you by what you used to be. So what, is that church paying you now? What's in it for you? Why do you dress like that? Why do you act like that? Why do you go there all the time? Is your preacher not good enough to give you enough God in one service a week? <laughs> you think I'm kidding? I've heard some talk about how they have enough God in one service, it's enough to last. It may be. But I'm just telling you, I need all of him I can get. I said, I need all of him I can get. It's not a matter of his goodness. Because he's good all the time. I just can't get enough of him. When I wake up in the morning, he's on my mind. When I go about my way in the day, he's on my mind. And sometimes... When there's nobody else around, it's just me in the truck. I've got to just raise my hand and say, thank you, Jesus. When I wake up in the morning and my electricity's on and the coffee pot's working and there's groceries in the refrigerator and i got house shoes to put on, I've got socks to put on my feet and the air conditioner's on, I've got to say, thank you, Jesus. What's wrong with you, man? Are you ate up with it? Yes, I am. I am consumed with it because he touched my life and he made a difference in me. He made a difference. He made a difference. He made a difference. It takes zero discernment to find that there's absolutely zero spiritual weight to the accusation that Jesus was in an illicit affair with Mary. Anybody who's ever been touched by the hand of the master can attest to the fact that once he touches you, you just can't get enough. Mary was a woman of means that had been healed by Jesus. She was a woman who had found truth in him that she did not find Anywhere else. She was a faithful supporter of our Messiah. That had stood in the gangly shadows of the cross. While the myth and speculation of her life may abound deeply. Our New Testament reveals her to be a heroine of the faith. She worked no miracles. She wrote no books. Preach no sermons or messages, but her life and her courage are an inspiration. Why would you say that, preacher? Because Mary had the courage to invest her life and resources into Jesus. To stand at the foot of the cross when others had scattered. She stood there and watched the spear as it was thrust into the side Of her Savior. And when Jesus died. Her world. Died. With him. Heartbroken. She walks into the garden. Only to find another indignant. To her mind. 
His grave has been defiled. The body of the Christ has been stolen. Is it really any wonder that she was in tears? She wept deeply. If you read the verses that I read to you again this morning in passage, you'll find out that weeping and crying is mentioned four times in that short passage. The word that's used there is clio, which means to weep aloud, to wail. In other words, when Mary came to see the body of Jesus, she didn't just have silent tears of agony drip from her face, but she literally wept and wailed and was tormented and screamed and yelled and cried and was broken. There was no question if anybody was around her that she was crying. The confusion must have been absolutely profound because when she walked in the garden, she saw confusing things. An open tomb, angels, grave clothes, Missing guards that had been put there. And she knew they were there. They had been put there and said, seal it tight. I was reading this week. Never thought about it like this. But they said that when they were required by Pilate to seal that tomb. They said that literally as you would seal a letter. That it was required at the tomb of Jesus that they actually rolled the stone in front of the grave and poured a hot wax substance around that door so they could tell if it had been moved and to seal that door that they actually took the insignia as they would on a letter and put the face of the Roman leader next to the door of that tomb. They said that when the tomb was sealed, it was sealed literally with the face of that Roman leader But when Mary walked into the tomb that day, the face of Roman power had been destroyed. And the tomb that was sealed was no longer sealed. There was evidence there that the power of earth had tried to keep him in the grave. But it was already said that if the temple would be destroyed, that in three days he would raise it up again. He was sending a message to Rome and a message to heaven, hell, and earth. You can do whatever you want to do, but nothing can stop the power of the resurrection. saw confusing things and then she heard confusing things as she stands there moaning groaning weeping and wailing two men seated in the tomb where Jesus had laid and if I had time for you I would describe what that picture looked like They looked at Mary and said, woman, why do you weep? And then Jesus asked the same question, but let's go back to the angels before we move to Jesus. This woman is on her face weeping in the garden, at least that's the picture that I see. As a Middle Eastern woman who was wailing, I don't believe that she was just standing there with her face toward heaven. I believe that her face was to the ground. And I do believe that the angels of the Lord, when they ask her the question, Woman, 
Why do you weep? I don't believe they asked that because they were really curious because the angels saw the same thing happen that she saw. But the reason the angels asked the question, why do you weep, is that while she was on her face weeping, the one of whom she was seeking was standing behind her. The angels could see what the weeper could not see. The angels, oh God help me right now. The angels had their eyes set on an answer that the woman had not yet seen. They said, why are you weeping? The answer is right there. <laughs> and then she must have been startled. When the answer asked her the question, why are you weeping? And who are you looking for? It lets me believe in the language of the scripture that her face was to the ground facing the tomb because the Bible said that she turned herself. Startled. Now you folks can flex all you want to flex and act as tough as you want to act. I'm going to tell you right now, folks. If I had come at the wee hours of the morning, the sun was cracking over the horizon, and I walked into a cemetery where a dead man that I love was supposed to be, and I just saw two dudes shining, sitting inside that tomb, say, why are you crying? And then I heard a man's voice behind me say, why are you crying? I believe I'd have turned around pretty quick. And I probably wouldn't have stayed around to answer Let's just say everybody would have known that I had heard and seen. But the Bible said that she turned around to behold who the voice was coming from. And this causes my mind to be blown because when she turned around, the man that she loved, that had healed her, that had set her free, that she had wept more than likely her, had wept. She, she was the one that had wept tears at his feet and had poured the alabaster box at his feet but did not even recognize him someone said someone said the reason that she didn't recognize him is because she had cried so hard she couldn't see but she certainly had no trouble recognizing two angels in the tomb I'll tell you why she didn't recognize him because he was resurrected and the last time she saw him he was beat to pieces but this time she beheld him like we're going to behold him. I wish I had a few minutes right there. We shall see him like he is. Daniel saw him that way in a prophetic vision. In the Old Testament, he said that I saw him and he had hair like wool. He had eyes like fire. And Daniel said, I saw the Ancient of Days. Yet John, in Revelation, on the Isle of Patmos, when he beheld him with hair like wool and eyes like fire, he said, Lo, I beheld the Son of Man. I'll tell you why. Because the Ancient of Days that Daniel beheld and the Son of Man that John and Mary beheld, they're all the same. You can say what you want to say, but I still believe there's one throne. And I still believe there's one that sits on that throne. And I believe the one that's seated there is who Mary saw. I believe it.
we shall behold him. Now the puzzle doesn't stop there because not only did she not recognize him, but she didn't recognize his voice. It hadn't clicked with her yet. That the answer she came looking for was not still bound by grave clothes because they were laying there. He wasn't still laying on the beer on the rock. It was empty. But the Bible said that after he asked her the questions, why are you crying and who are you looking for? That then he opened up his mouth and he called her by name. He said, Mary. And she said, Rabboni. He called her by her name. And Brother Stephen, she called him by his work. When he calls you by your name, you recognize the power of his work. She didn't turn around and call him Jesus. She turned around and called him Master because she knew that who, oh God help me, who she was looking for was standing there right then. Rabboni. And she ran to him to grab his feet because that was a posture she was used to. But he said to her, don't touch me. I have not yet ascended to my father. Oh God, I was so bad I had time to tell you about it this morning. But the high priest, once he had been cleansed, he was not allowed to be touched by common man until the sacrifice had been completely offered. And in Hebrews, we catch a perspective of window that Jesus Christ himself, between the resurrection and his final ascension into the heavens, that he ascends to the throne of his Father, where now he seats. He is seated rightfully there at that place. And the atonement of our sin is offered there at the Father. The blood had to be sprinkled at the mercy seat. So Jesus... Don't touch me Mary You cannot touch me Because I have not sprinkled the blood yet But I've got to ascend to the throne And sprinkle the blood And so we understand That now Through her tears There is a shifting That what she did not understand Just a moment ago now she understands clearly things that she had no answers to five minutes ago. <laughs> now she understands very well. Church family, I want you to listen to what I'm about to tell you right now. And I'm fixing to preach something real that will help keep somebody saved. Just because you've been touched by Jesus doesn't mean you understand everything he does. But what we see by Mary... Is that some things can never be understood until you get lost in his presence. 
If you really want to know what God's doing, the only thing you know to do is to go back where it started with him. It all started with a touch. And Mary said, now, I need his touch one more time. I've been broken. I've been bruised. I've been mourning my heart out. I felt betrayed. I didn't know what to do. But now that he's here, I've got a feeling that everything is going to be all right. feel like this morning that if we could take a snapshot picture of this and describe it, what we find is that joy replaced Mary's weeping. Out of the worst came the very best. The overpowering pain was replaced with an instant rush of relief. Something compelled Mary. To run to Jesus. He said, Mary, don't cling to me yet. Time hasn't come. It's not here. It's not time for you to cling to me. He said, but I, what I want you to do. He said, I'm going to give you a sermon. And I want you to preach it verbatim of what I'm fixing to tell you. He said, I want you to go into my brothers. And he said, I want you to tell them. I want you to tell them. That the blockade of sin that kept us from fellowship with our creator has been fixed. He said, I want you to go to my brothers. And I want you to tell them that I'm going to my father, to your father. I want you to tell them that I'm going to my God and your God. That I've been resurrected. But with these simple words. Fellowship. With what they thought they had lost. Is now reinstated. And hope begins to skip across the Judean hills. As broken hearted people begin to hear the good news. He is not here. He. (laughs) He. Is. Risen. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus left the broken body of a man laying there in the tomb wrapped in grave clothes. But Mary of Magdalene walked away and left the grave clothes there and left the grave open because their message was, it's over. Her message was, he's just getting started. Hallelujah. Stay with me. I'm almost finished. I'm going to get you out of here in time to get your pot roast. At the epicenter of history stood a woman who had suffered at the hands of evil itself, a bodily vessel that was filled with demonic possession. A woman, although well-to-do, who because of her gender could not be in the elite number. A woman with a mind branded by the heart-shredding image of a battered cross and Christ. A woman reduced to weeping, wailing in an empty shell of brokenness. But she became the very first one to share the good news. He is risen. Stay with me right here. 
He didn't choose Peter to share that. He didn't choose John the Beloved. John recorded it, but John couldn't tell it like, like, oh God. John couldn't tell it like she could tell it. Because John had to tell it like she told it. But she could tell it like she saw it. What I'm saying to you is somebody else may record your testimony. But can't nobody tell it like you can tell it. That I was messed up. I was broken. I was fractured in a million pieces. But he is risen. He is risen. I close today. One of the most powerful men in the world was Nikolai Ivanovich Bukharin. He was a Russian communist leader who took part in the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917. In 1930, he stood and addressed a massive assembly of workers at the Kiev on the subject of atheism. He aimed his heavy artillery of arguments at Christianity by hurling insults and proof against the Christian belief. Story said that he went on for an hour effectively crucifying the faith of the people standing there. When he was done, he looked out smugly upon what he thought was a smoldering heap of ash of people's faith because he had broke them down his speech was followed by silence and he demanded are there any questions as deafening silence filled the auditorium for what seemed like an eternity a man who the storyteller believed to be an orthodox priest slipped up to the rostrum which was Standing beside the communist leader. They said he surveyed the crowd. Scanning the silent faces from left to right. And right to left. Finally he shouted the ancient greeting. Known so well in the orthodox church. Christ is risen. In mass. The crowd stood to their feet. And the response came crashing forth like the sound of thunder. Indeed, he is risen. In the face of the atheist communist who had spent an hour ripping the faith apart of the people who believed in the resurrection. One man of faith stood up and declared... I believe that he's risen. And with that, the courage of the people rose to their feet and said, indeed, he is risen. I'm standing on this Sunday morning amidst a world that has ripped you apart and has torn your faith down and desired to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. And I'm declaring this morning that he is risen. He is risen. I dare you to shout it this morning. Indeed, he is risen.
I feel his resurrection in this house right now. I feel him raising somebody to life right now. I feel that resurrection power working on hearts right now. Somebody give him praises. How do you know he's risen? Because I can feel him in this house. How do you know he's risen? Because he healed my mind. He healed my body. He touched my spirit. He healed my emotions. I know that he's risen. I'm telling you, you're not facing a mountain big enough today that his resurrection power cannot heal you. These altars are open today as if we should have to give an altar call, but I'm just telling you, the resurrection power of Jesus is here right now. He is risen. With all power in his hands, he is risen. With the keys of death and hell, he is risen. 